Famous last words. Famous last words is a catchphrase that most of us are familiar with. It it refers to to someone's last words right before they die, somebody's famous last words. Sometimes those words can be inspirational. Sometimes they can be instructive, sometimes funny, sometimes tragic. I have some examples that I'd like to show you of individuals' famous last words. Lou Costello from the uh, comic duo Abbott and Costello said this, that was the best ice cream soda I ever tasted. And then he died. (laughs) Grover Cleveland, past president of the United States, said, I have tried so hard to do the right. John Sedgwick, a Union commander uh, in the Civil War, said, nonsense, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance right before the bullet struck and killed him. (laughs) Buddy Rich, a drummer, As he's being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? He said, yeah, country music. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Dylan Thomas, a Welsh poet, was reported to have said, I have just had 18 whiskeys in a row. I do believe that is a record. It's probably a record, and it's not a very good idea. Famous last words. What is it that people have to say of import right before they die? Maybe funny, maybe tragic, inspirational, maybe instructive. This morning, we're going to look at Joshua's famous last words. So if you take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23 is found on page 188 in the Bible that the church provides. And this morning, I'd encourage you to follow along. We're going to be reading a number of these verses this morning, and I think it'd help you if you could read along as I read them. So page 188, Joshua chapter 23. We're coming to the end of the book of Joshua. We've been studying together the book of Joshua for months, and we're now at the end. There's only two chapters remaining. There's Joshua chapter 23 and Joshua chapter 24. And here in Joshua chapter 23, we're going to look at Joshua's, we're going to look at Joshua's famous last words. If you'll recall, a few weeks ago, we were in Joshua chapter 21, and we were looking at the last three verses of Joshua chapter 21. And in those last three verses of Joshua chapter 21, the writer of Joshua, he gave a testimony and acknowledged all that God had done for the people of Israel. And he said that God kept every one of his good promises to the people of Israel. Every one of those promises was fulfilled because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. And now Joshua, in Joshua chapter 22, 23, and 24, is going to give us our response to God's faithfulness. If God is so faithful, what should be our proper and rational response to his faithfulness? And the proper response to God's faithfulness is that we would be faithful to God. God is faithful to us, so we should be faithful in return to God. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Joshua chapter 22, and we learned that part of our faithful response to God is that we are to be united as the people of God, that God places a very high priority on the unity of his people. And now here in Joshua chapter 23, Joshua is going to give us more instruction on what it means to be faithful to God, responding to God's faithfulness. So the first few verses, the first verse primarily gives us some context to what's going on here. Look at verse 1. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all of Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. 
Now, it says here that Joshua summoned all of Israel, but it seems as though all of Israel was represented by the elders, leaders, judges, and officials with the expectation that they would go back to the people and explain what Joshua had shared with them. Now, think about this. Joshua here is near the end of his life. We're, we're going to learn a bit later that he's over 100 years old. And he's coming to the people of Israel, and he is going to share with them what he thinks is very important for them. He is going to share some famous last words. What are the things that are important to Joshua? That is what he is going to now share with the people of Israel at over 100 years old. Now, I think this is important because I think it's what makes Joshua so extraordinary. He's over 100 years old here, and he comes to the people, and he's going to talk to the people about their future. At over 100 years old, he's not concerned about himself. He's not concerned about his health. He's not concerned about any ailments he might have. He's not going to share that with the people. He's going to talk to them about their future. He's going to speak to the future of their children, of their grandchildren, of the people of Israel, because he cares about their future, a future that he may not be a part of, a future that he may never see, that he likely won't see. But he speaks to them because he cares for them. And I think about that today, too, about extraordinary older people who are mature in Christ, not just mature in age, but mature spiritually. They don't think about themselves, not about their health, not about their ailments. They think about their children. They think about their grandchildren. They think about the church. They think about the kingdom of God. They think about a future that they may never see, but they want the best for those who are going to come after them. That's Joshua. He wants the best for the people of Israel. So what Joshua is going to do to the people of Israel and what he's going to do for us this morning is he's going to open up his heart. Joshua's going to open up his heart and he's going to share with the people of Israel what's important, what really matters. What is it? How is it that you should live your lives? So here Joshua is giving us his famous last words and he opens up his heart and he provides us with five directives or five pieces of encouragement to live our lives for God, for the one true God. The first encouragement that Joshua provides to the people of Israel, the first instruction is to be confident in the Lord. Be confident in the Lord. The Lord God is faithful. Now, Joshua has said this before, but he's going to say it again. God is faithful. God will be your help. God will provide for you. Look at verse 3. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted an inheritance for your tribes, all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Now, Joshua's point here is not to explain how the future land is going to be conquered. His position or his purpose here is to furnish the basis or the foundation for their confidence. 
The Lord has gone before you in the past and he will go before you in the future. The Lord has made promises to you in the past that he has kept. The Lord will make promises to you, has made promises to you for the future and he will keep those. The Lord has helped you in the past. The Lord will help you in the future. He is laying a foundation for their confidence in the Lord. Be confident in the Lord your God, your helper. And think about that. It's like that for you and me as well. In our lives, we face impossible, sometimes seemingly impossible tasks or assignments. We've been talking about assignments for months now in the book of Joshua, that each one of us have been given an assignment from God. And sometimes those assignments are difficult. Sometimes they're very difficult, hard tasks, seemingly impossible. What Joshua is saying here is be confident in the Lord. He has helped you in the past. You know this. You know in your lives from the past assignments that God has given you that he has showed up in the past. He was faithful then, he will be faithful now, and he will be faithful in the future. He has made promises and kept them. He is going to continue to keep the promises he has made to you. So be confident in the Lord. Don't be confident in yourselves. Don't be confident in your talents. Don't be confident in your gifts. Don't be confident in others. Be confident in the Lord God because he is your help. The second instruction or encouragement from Joshua is found in verse 6. It's obey the Lord completely. Obey the Lord completely. Look at verse 6. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Now these words, they should sound familiar to us. Here, Joshua is instructing the people of Israel. But our benediction that we read every week is how God instructed Joshua. When we look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, which incorporates part of our benediction, we read this. This is God's instruction to Joshua, God's encouragement to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right that you may be successful wherever you go. Familiar? Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It's familiar, right? You see, Joshua is concerned with obeying the Lord. Lord told Joshua in chapter 1, Make sure you keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Keep all of the commands in it. Here in verse 6, Joshua says to the people, Be careful to obey all that is written in the word of God. Be careful to obey everything completely that is written in the word of God. Now, I would think about this time. I'd think about this time in Joshua chapter 23. We're at the end of the book of Joshua. They've entered the promised land. They've conquered most of the land that God is going to provide for them. I'd think that maybe Joshua would say, hey, you guys have done a lot of work. You've come a long way. Now let's kind of kick back, put our seats up, put our feet up on the table and relax. Joshua doesn't say that. Joshua says, no, you are to obey all of the law of the Lord your God. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Obey the law of your Lord completely. Now we all like stop signs, don't we? Think about stop signs. We all like stop signs. Stop signs create order. 
They allow traffic to flow freely. They create a structure. I know when I come to a stop sign that I should stop. I know that when another person comes to a stop sign, they should stop. Order, structure, free traffic. We like stop signs, except when they apply to me. (laughs) Then I'm not so sure about stop signs because I like to make my own decisions. And stop signs tell me that I have to stop when that stop sign tells me to stop. When I was a senior in high school, I was 17 years old, and I was coming home from a morning hockey practice. And by morning hockey practice, I mean a very early morning hockey practice. And it's early, it's about 7 a.m., and I'm driving home from the hockey practice to shower before I have to go to school. So I'm driving home from the hockey practice, I'm on a residential street, and I see the stop sign up ahead, and it's coming, and it's coming, but I'm late. I need to get back, I need to shower so I can get to school on time, so I see the stop sign, and I come to the stop sign, and I just, I blow right through that stop sign. That's right, that's a big O. Now, I don't know how this happens, but right there, there is a police officer waiting for me. It is seven in the morning, it is a residential spot, we are the only two people on the road. Me and the police officer. So he pulls me over, says, young man, do you know why I pulled you over? Yes, sir, I ran the stop sign, I'm sorry. He says to me, young man, stop signs are not a suggestion. You must come to a complete stop. That's good, isn't it? Young man, stop signs are not a suggestion. You must come to a complete stop. See, there's only three ways you address a stop sign, right? Most people come to a stop sign and they come to a complete stop. They look right, they look left, and then they proceed. Some people come to a stop sign and they kind of mosey up to the stop sign and they kind of look right, look left, and they roll through. Other people come to a stop sign and it's as if the stop sign never existed. And they just run that stop sign very similar how we look at the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. Some people come to the Word of God, they see God's commands, they see God's instructions to do or instructions not to do, and they come to it and they just blow right through because obedience isn't for them. They're not going to listen to anything God has to say, they're just going to blow through those stop signs. Some people come up to the stop signs and they kind of roll. They kind of roll through the word of God. Yeah, they say they're Christians and, and they read a verse here and there and sometimes they even underline a verse, which is big. And I underline the verses that I like and I ignore the verses that I don't like so I can obey some and I can ignore others. I kind of just roll slowly through the stop sign. What Joshua is saying to us is we need to be people who come to the stop sign and stop completely. Not because God's some ogre who has rules that wants to prevent us from having fun. Stop signs create order. Stop signs allow free traffic. Stop signs provide for our safety. You see, God has these stop signs that he places, these rules that he instructs us to obey completely because he doesn't want us to get into accidents. If you blow through a stop sign, you are likely to get into an accident. If you roll through a stop sign, you are likely to get in an accident. If you stop at a stop sign and look to your right and look to your left and then go, you are very unlikely to get into an accident. So Joshua from his heart says, obey the Lord your God completely. Come to a complete stop.
Not only does he say, come to a complete stop by obeying the Lord your God completely, he says, obey the Lord your God exclusively. Obey the Lord your God exclusively. This is the third directive, encouragement from Joshua. It's found in verse 7. Look at what verse 7 says. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. You see, here is a very specific call to exclusive obedience. Do not associate with the nations around you. Do not invoke the names of their gods. In other words, do not get trapped in idolatry. Don't get too close. Don't get too close to those nations, to those people around you, because you will fall, and you will likely fall into idolatry. Now, clearly, this doesn't mean that you're not to have any contact, that the people of Israel were not to have any contact with the people around them. They contacted Rahab, right? They spent time with Rahab. They even bring Rahab back into their, the family of Israel, and she becomes one of them. So it's not that we're not to have no contact, but God says, do not associate with these people. Look at it. It goes further. Look at verse 12. Strict laws about intermarriage. Don't do it. Don't intermarry with these people. This is not about mixing races. This is not an, a, an admonition or an instruction to not mix races. This is about mixing religious loyalties. Don't intermarry with those people because if you intermarry with those people, you are likely to compromise your religious loyalty to the one true God you are going to end up worshiping their gods. So don't intermarry. God tells his people not to associate or enter, and intertwine yourselves with those who do not believe in the one true God. Again, it doesn't mean, no, we're not, we're not to reach out, we're not to wit, not those things. Don't associate, don't intertwine with those people. Paul continues this command for us, this idea of separation or, or non-entwinement with the people around us. Paul continues this instruction in 2 Corinthians 6. Look at what Paul says. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's, that's us. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Paul is serious about this. Don't intermarry. Don't be unequally yoked with someone that's not a Christian. Separate yourself. Do not associate. Now again, this is not an instruction to have no contact with people who are not Christians. We are to demonstrate the love of Christ to people who are not Christians. We are to show Christ's love to them. We are to witness and share Jesus with them. But we are not to associate closely with them. We are not to intertwine our lives with them through intermarriage, business relationships. Don't be yoked with an unbeliever. Relationships in general, your close friends, your close friends are speaking into your life. Joshua, from his heart, says, do not associate. 
because what will happen is you'll end up compromising. You'll end up invoking the name of their gods. You will fall to idolatry. A number of months ago, there was a story uh, in the press about a professor at Wheaton College. I went to Wheaton College, great place, uh, but a professor at Wheaton College posted on her Facebook. She said on her Facebook page, she said, I stand in solidarity with my brothers and sisters who are Muslims as we are people of one book and we believe in the same God. That's not true. That's not right. We do not believe in the same God. She's invoking the name of other gods. And Joshua says, out of the depths of his heart, don't do that because you end up bowing down before that God. You end up making that God an idol. Now hear me. I am not casting dispersion on Muslims. As a follower of Jesus, it is my responsibility to love the Muslim that lives next door to me. It is my responsibility to love everyone who lives next door to me. But what Joshua is saying here is you cannot associate yourself with, you cannot entwine yourself in relationships because you will end up bowing down to their God. You will invoke the name of their God. But it's not only a professor at Wheaton College, is it? There's idols that call our names as well. Now, we don't bow down to a pagan god. We don't bow down to a statue. We don't typically have statues in our house that we bow down and worship towards. We don't offer our children to the god of the underworld. But there are idols that are all around us that call our names. How about the idol of the material? Money, houses, cars, things that becomes my idol, that I end up bowing down to? How about the idol of relationships? I know him or I know her. She likes me, he likes me. And all of my time and energy is spent bowing down to the idol of relationships. How about the idol of work? Acclaim, accomplishment, achievement, things that I do at work that that, 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 that focus on me. How about the idol of kids? My kid got a 3.8 last semester. Or my child's the first chair in the French horn section or he plays this sport or that sport and every bit of my time, every bit of my energy is devoted to my children. And I end up bowing down to my children instead of bowing down to the one true God. There are idols all around us and I could go on and on, but there's an interesting thing about all these idols I've mentioned. Every idol. Every idol really boils down to one idol. One idol. It's the idol of me. It's all about number one. The idol of work is about my accomplishment. The idol of a relationship is about who likes me. The idol of material is about all I can get. The idol of kids is about how my kids make me look. It is the idol of me, and it's all about me. It is the idol of pride, and it is the most prevalent idol in our culture. And the problem is, is that when you associate with the culture, you start to think that it's all about you. I start to think that it's all about me and the material and the relationships and the work and the kids and everything else. There was a song when I was a kid. It said, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little hands what you touch. For the Father up above is looking down in love. How do you not associate? Be careful what you look at because that world of idols will suck you in. 
Be careful what you listen to because what you listen to forms your heart and your mind and it will suck you in. Be careful what you do with your hands because you will end up bowing down to their God and invoking the name of their God and not bowing down for between and for the one true God. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. For the Father up above is looking down in love. From his heart, Joshua says, be confident in the Lord your God. Obey him completely. Obey him exclusively. And then look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, love the Lord your God. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. This is the heart of all of Joshua's instructions. Love the Lord your God. Notice how highly intentional this needs to be. There is nothing automatic about this command. He says, be very careful. This needs to be at the heart of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to love the Lord our God. Moses says it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus repeats it in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, it is your one true thing, your highest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Joshua says to us from his heart, you need to love the Lord your God. And this love, this love flows as a response to the love of God, the love of God that he shares with us. It's a reciprocating love, which means that God's love came first and our love responds to God's love. This is how it works. God loved us so much that he sends his son to die on a cross so that our sins may be forgiven. Now, we run through these words flippantly and we think about them not so deeply, but think about what I'm saying. We respond to God's love because God loved us first by sending his one and only son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins that separate you from that God, your sins that are destroying you, your sins that will eventually kill you because God loves you. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross, to shed his blood so that if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. They are covered and you can have a relationship, a right relationship with the one true God. Our love is in response to that loving action. You love God because he first loved us. We respond to the generosity, the mercy, the grace, and the love of God. So Joshua says, love the Lord your God. And then the fifth and final encouragement or directive. And this is serious and this is so sobering. But it is an encouragement, so hang with me. It's also very direct. Verse 15. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened. Until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given to you. The fifth directive from Joshua's heart is to fear the Lord. 
that we have to count the cost of following the Lord, that, that our decisions have consequences. We recognize that God is faithful, that God keeps his promises, that when God promises goodness, he provides goodness. When we obey God's commands, he provides blessing. God is faithful to provide his blessing, but God is also faithful to provide his discipline. When you disobey his commands, when you do not uphold the covenant, he is faithful in his discipline. Your good choices bring about good consequences from God. Your bad choices bring about discipline from God. He's very serious. And from Joshua's heart, he says, recognize that God is faithful in the blessings. He is also faithful in the discipline. Now, I will tell you, it is relatively easy to preach a sermon from Joshua chapter 21, the last three verses. When God says, I've kept every promise and I will continue to keep every promise and I am going to bless you as a people. So don't be afraid because I, the Lord your God, am with you. That is a relatively easy sermon to preach because on the face of it, you see the demonstration of love that God has for you and for me because he meets us in our fears and he provides promises for our blessing. It's more difficult to preach on obeying God and fearing the Lord. But you know why we do it? Because God loves you. And I love you. And God puts up stop signs because he cares. Because he says, if you blow through the stop sign, you're likely to get in an accident. And accidents cause pain, they cause hurt, they cause destruction, and sometimes they cause death. So Joshua says, fear the Lord your God, because I don't want you to experience the accident that may result from running through a stop sign. Joshua from his heart says, be confident in the Lord, Obey him completely, obey him exclusively, love the Lord your God, and fear the Lord. There's a story of three young men that's found in the book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 3. There's three young men there. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Israeli citizens who, who were captured by the Babylonians, taken into exile, and were living in the land of Babylon under the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, one day, King Nebuchadnezzar had a great idea that everyone should bow down to a 90-foot statue of gold. A 90-foot statue of gold. When the trumpets would blare throughout the kingdom, everyone would bow their knee to the statue of gold. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the words of Joshua. Be confident in the Lord. Obey him completely. Obey him exclusively. Love the Lord your God and fear the Lord. So when the trumpets blared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood. This was how they answered King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what they said to him after hearing the law of the land. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to associate with the people of the land of Babylon. They were not going to bow their knee to the idol before them. They were not going to call on the name of the image of their God. So when the trumpet blared, they stayed standing. And Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fiery furnace and they stand in the fiery furnace and when Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace, they are standing, they are moving around, the furnace is not burning them up and Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person in the fiery furnace. Shadrach. Meshach, Abednego, and Jesus are in the fiery furnace. You see, Shadrach, Meshach's, and Abednego's obedience led them to see Jesus in a miraculous way. The obedience stopping at the stop sign allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to actually see Jesus in a miraculous way. In Acts chapter 7, we read the story of Stephen. We read his great speech to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the t- at that time. And Stephen cries out the gospel of Jesus Christ to these religious leaders, to all the people listening. And they ask him to compromise. Please don't say those things. Compromise. Bend at the knee. Don't say these things about Jesus. Stephen continues to speak and they pick up stones and they stone him. Not from a worthy perspective, not as good an outcome as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But as they're stoning them, the text says that Stephen saw Jesus. Stephen's obedience led him to see Jesus in a miraculous and special way. All of this, Joshua 23, is about obeying the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving him, fearing him, recognizing that you need to place your confidence in him because he loves you. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Stephen, they obeyed, and the result of their obedience is they get to see Jesus in a miraculous and special way. If you're here this morning and you can't see Jesus or he is blurry... Are you running stop signs? Are you rolling through stop signs? Because obedience, complete and exclusive obedience allows you to see Jesus in a miraculous and special way. Joshua speaks from his heart. Be confident in the Lord. Obey him completely. Obey the Lord exclusively. Love the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Because the Lord your God loves you. And he wants the very, very best for you.